You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. This episode is introduced by John Jacob. No word of a lie, this podcast episode recorded on Friday the 18th of February at 5.15pm features a performer whose musicianship is beguiling. Canadian violinist James Ennis has a stillness and solidity about him that makes everything he plays, especially the fast bits, utterly enthralling. Well, for me at least, which was the motivation for me asking for this interview with him. On the day of a concert, he was due to be playing with the BBC Symphony Orchestra, only he didn't play it because of Storm Eunice. But whilst his concert with Andrew Davis and the BBC Symphony, including Berg's Violin Concerto, was cancelled due to wind, he still agreed to sit down for a thoroughly good interview, which makes him utterly charming, something that fits his profile, I think. reason I'm really excited to uh, to meet you is because I seem to recall that I first heard you play in Verbier mm-hmm. in the church and I'm wondering whether I just made that up or whether that actually did happen do you recall? oh no that actually happened yeah I was in Verbier oh, when was that I guess that would have well it wasn't this last summer and it wasn't the summer before that but <laughs> it was a few years ago um but yeah that was a really nice trip and I did a few things there in the in that beautiful church that season I did a like a full violin and piano recital and I did a See, I did a Brahms C minor piano quartet. I think and, it was the Brahms I saw. Yeah, yeah, that might have been. And so here's Antoine the Hamathy and um, Nikol- uh, Nikolai Lugansky was playing piano. Misha yes. Mice Yes. Ring a bell. A chap, chap with a really thick eyebrows. He's got really thick eyebrows and really thick, lustrous hair, um, <laughs> and is quite short. I mean, not that that's really an issue. It's not an issue at all. Um, the it's funny that you mentioned that because I went to go and I went to go and see you play the Walton with the Philharmonia last week, and and I had this weird thing listening to you play, and it's going to sound really weird. So just let me get out, let let me get out of my system, and then you can tell me how it's happened. But I sat listening to you playing the Walton last week, and was thinking it's like he plays bang center in the note every time he plays in it, every single note. It's bang in the centre, regardless of whether there's vibrato or not. And that is what I wrote in my notebook, because I go to concerts with a notebook. And and then when I went through my notes, I realised that I'd written exactly the same thing when I heard you play in Verbier. <laughs> well, which that's is weird. Yeah. I find that weird. So I'm wondering whether, given my weirdness, you can tell me what's going on. Do you recognise what I'm saying? Or are you thinking, he's talking nonsense? Well, no, I really appreciate it. I mean, I I think that um, it's a real it's a real goal of mine for for pitch to be pure and and for you know intonation is a funny thing. It's like it, it it's often something that is 
a little bit approximate and there are certain decisions you have to make with the you know kind of linear intonation versus chordal vertical intonation but uh it's a real pet peeve of mine as a listener when things are not quite locked in. And uh, so it's definitely something that I think about. And and I don't know. I mean, people have, have told me over the years that they, they think I have a very good intonation. And I'm always, um, I'm always pleased. And, you know, violinists will say, well, why, why do you play with such good intonation? I think it's likely because I'm just so afraid so afraid all the time of not playing with good intonation, you know. See, see, I didn't want. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I kind of knew that it was good intonation, but I didn't want to say it as that because that would be a really stupid thing for a journalist to say of, a, of an instrument. Oh, you play with really good intonation. It's like, well, yeah, that's part of the part of the deal, isn't it? Um, but the effect of it, I think, is that it feels. As a listener, it makes me feel as though everything is really quite solid and I feel very safe in the instrumentalist's hands. And I wonder what that... I know that's how that makes me feel. I don't say it to flatter you, but I wonder I wonder whether that's the intention. Um, well, it's funny. You, the last word you just said, intention. You know, I think I, I do want my playing to seem very intentional. You know, I don't... It's not like, oh, that happened that way and you know, maybe <laughs> maybe it turned out good maybe not so good you know i think that's a different thing um than you know people talk about uh musical risks and, and i think that they're you know a performance to have excitement it does need to have um a feeling of uh of going with the moment but uh i think I think that there's there's sort of a fine line there. You know, I want the audience to uh, to feel like it's of the moment and inspired. But in order for that to happen, I've got to have put in a lot of time. And you know, any good storyteller, um, in order to really tell a story well, you have to know the ending before you start to tell the story. <laughs> and uh, I I think about that a lot with music making. And and yeah, so I do. I want the audience to feel secure and solid with me like like there's nothing quite as uncomfortable for me as a listener it's going to a concert where i'm like oh the whole thing feels yes. <laughs> coming off the rails you i know, mean there's like, jeopardy oh, okay. there's jeopardy but then there's also like yeah. high level risk no i think i yeah i but know what you mean i like i like the feeling of going to a player where uh, where there's tremendous excitement because they know that they've got me you know what i mean and yes. they can pull me this way or that so that's certainly what i aspire to and it made me wonder during the walton whether actually that that intention buys you the opportunity to it sounds a bit weird to say it but it by by playing with that intention and with that solidity then you buy yourself the opportunity to take the audience in lots of different directions you know you, you you almost buy your buy yourself a token to take risks whenever you want because you come from a it comes from a solid place does that make I, sense yeah, yeah. I, I think so it's funny i mean i it's all this all this stuff you're saying is terribly complimentary it reminds me of i'm uh, not flattering you I mean, it gets worse <laughs> later on don't okay worry. good <laughs> but no of, of some of the players that i um i loved listening to as i was growing up you know some of the people where you felt like, okay, I'm in really good hands here. And when they would start to sprint in a certain direction, it was incredibly exhilarating. And the way that, you know, being on a, on a great roller coaster is really exhilarating. 
you you know you're not actually going to die on it <laughs> you know i think that's you know th there are there's different kinds of risks you know there's there is the acceleration of um of skydiving with a parachute and a trained instructor and then there's the exhilaration of russian roulette and that's not really my kind of thing does that suggest that you have parachuted i have not actually right. i have not um but i would would you <laughs> yeah i think so I've, I've done some things of that nature i've done you know paragliding and things like that but what other not, things of that nature diving. have you done let's 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 find out more about what james ennis does when he's not playing the violin well, I mean, I, I can't equate these things to skydiving, you know, that's kind of the, the ultimate one. But most of those sort of, um, you know, adventurous types of things, I I, uh, I do really enjoy. And I'm always terrorizing my family, you know, saying, you know, oh, let's go to this, you know, this amusement park with, you know, the, the dragon slayer, or, you know, some ridiculous ride on it. My kids are like, I don't think so, daddy. I'm like, no, 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 you're fine. Um, right. So would you would you consider climbing trees? Would you consider sort of like swinging from the trees in a sort of an adventure park type thing? I used to love to climb everything. It was like this weird kind of mania when I was in my like late teens and 20s. It's like it went, particularly being in a big city and I lived in New York for years and it was like I just climbed everything. I climbed buildings. I climbed construction cranes. Like it was construction trains. Super... Is that just, uh, construction, construction cranes? Cranes, yeah, that that's a really bad idea. Yeah, um, and also presumably not great for health and safety. No. Does that suggest that you sort of broke into that you surely have to break into break through a boundary in order to climb a uh, a thing that technically you shouldn't really be climbing? How old well, are you? May I say I have no independent recollection of the circumstances at this time. Wow. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Yeah, I'll, how talk old my, were I'll talk to my attorney about statute of limitations. <laughs> wow, and, you really and, kicked uh, in really quickly there, didn't you, without <laughs> any hesitation. Um, where, what, how old were you at the time? Oh, I, I did a fair number of, of um, maybe foolhardy things when I was in my sort of early to mid twenties. And, you know, now that I'm a father and I think I've, I've got a, a, a son that could turn out like me and like, Oh, don't do that. What as in be a musician? <laughs> no, be a musician. I, I would say, right. Okay. Yeah, don't be me. Don't be a musician. That's shit. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Terrible idea. Um, so is there, is there something about you being a risk taker as a, as a kid that I don't know, I'm trying to find a link between being a risk taker as a kid and, and you sort of, uh, approaching musicianship with sort of solidity. I don't know whether there's a link there or whether I'm reading too much into it. Well, you know, it's funny. Things change as as one gets older. Um, I think when I was young, like many young men, um, I had the, the sort of foolish attitude of, of just figuring that things would always turn out okay. And... And, you know, they usually did. Um, I think that as as you get older, you know, and that 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 applies to music, too, you know, where you're like, ah, I practiced the piece. I know it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Um, sometimes as a, you know, as I've gotten older, there's a little bit more of the, uh, you know, the, the voice in the back of the head. that's like, are you sure? <laughs> have you really practiced it enough? Because I, I, I tell young players, like, there's a difference between knowing it and knowing that you know it. And both are important, I think, uh, if that makes sense. Like really, really understanding that, yes, I know this. 
I've worked as hard as I need to and I am prepared and I am ready and that, you know, knowing that you know it is is really important. There are lots of pieces that I mean, you could roll me out of bed and be like, play this and be like, okay, and and I can play it because I know it, but I wouldn't perform it because there's that mechanism that I don't know that I know it. You know, if I were to think about it too much, I might be like, wait, how how does it go? How does it work? You know, or, or can I really play this part cleanly? I haven't practiced enough. So that that sort of preparation now, a lot of that is uh, is for that purpose for me, I guess I'd say. Uh, that was my impression when I heard the Walton last week. I mean, it's like terrifying. I mean, not terrifying to listen to, but it strikes me like there's everything going on. And it's an impossibly difficult piece. Yeah, and and that that is one that I mean, frankly, like a, a part of the preparation for that is reminding myself. Like I really know that piece. I've played that piece a lot. I've probably played that piece more than most people. I guess I'd say it's just one of those pieces that that. Um, you know, I recorded quite a few years ago, and maybe it was because of that, but it just, it led to a bunch of performances, and, you know, you start playing a piece a lot, and then you start playing it even more, because people know you play it a lot. Um, so, with a piece like that, I think knowing that you know it is really important, because it's pretty um, unflagging. Like, the, the <laughs> demand... Yeah, it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's not really, yeah. it's not for a shrinking wallflower, is it, really? It's Well, it's funny, you know, he wrote it for Yasha Heifetz, and apparently... So the story goes, he was um, rather afraid of it not being hard enough. So he kept making it harder and harder and harder. You know, he had this idea that, oh, Heifetz, the great, the, the uber virtuoso, you know, I have to make sure that it has enough technical difficulty to it. So he just kept making it more and more and more involved. Um, and of course, you know, the, the technical element of the concerto is an important part of it. You know, it's a very it's a very exciting piece because of the virtuosic element, but I think that it's really at its heart. It's a very lyrical piece and it's, it's a very, uh, very beautiful piece. Uh, you were meant to be playing the Berg this evening, but right. owing to wind, uh, <laughs> you are not playing it. Does this, this mean that you're going to have to reschedule it for a year from now? You know, I don't know what we're going to do about rescheduling the concert. Luckily, um, we're recording it uh, for Shandos Records um, Sunday, Monday. So hopefully this this storm will have rolled through and we'll at least have the chance to put it down for CD. It's not an entirely um, wasted trip then. It's not like you've come right. to the other side of the Atlantic to play a concert and then it hasn't happened. Well, and it's been really nice that... Uh, the, the scheduling this week, we've had a lot of rehearsal time. And, and you know, we were talking earlier about intonation. I mean, the, the Berg with it, the, the nature of 12-tone writing is things often, often seem like clusters. And intonation sometimes gets a little approximate because it's very difficult to hear the chords. But a lot of the piece, rather than being actual clusters of notes, you know, you expand them and it becomes these ladders of thirds ascending and descending ladders of thirds which really need to be in tune for it to speak properly and and uh, we've we've you know taken the time to i think really do the piece properly so it was it was kind of a blow not to be able to share it with people tonight but it, it is what it is uh what have you been up to whilst you've been here i my, my impression is of being an international soloist that one jets into a country and then <clears throat> does all of the sites without being encumbered by other members of the public, but maybe that's not really how it is. What, what well, this has been kind of an amazing trip because I came in, um, I guess, a little 
Well, yeah, it was a day over two weeks ago. Uh, my first thing was a recital up in Glasgow, and then I played a, a Wigmore recital on Sunday, so two weeks ago this Sunday. Then there was that uh, Walton with the Philharmonia. There was the, the Berg Project for now. Uh, I spent a day teaching at the Royal Academy, where I'm a, I'm a guest professor there, and you know, just catching up with some of the students that I hadn't really been able to see much over the last couple of years. Uh, it's been a great opportunity to see friends. You know, I'm here with my wife and kids, and we've got some some great friends that live, you know, a little north of town. Some great friends that live a little south of town. Um, we've seen, you know, the Natural History Museum and the Tate and the Tate Modern, and we we're off to the British Museum tomorrow. And uh, so you're full on museum. You're museum fans. Clearly. We're museum fans. <laughs> yeah, and it's good for the kids too. You know, it's, uh, so and, yeah. and how do the kids feel about that? It's like, oh, I'm not another museum, then please. You know, they actually like museums, which oh. is lucky. <laughs> okay, so it's something that we can we can all do. And I mean, you know, London's such an amazing city. It's such is an it? incredible place. I, is I, it? I must be hard when when you're there and you're used to it. And but to come here once, twice a year, um, and to to have the time and in a way to have the, the the excuse to to be a tourist. You know, when you live in a place in a place, it's hard to be a tourist. I lived in New York for eight years and it was my last week in New York that I finally did a bunch of the things that you're supposed to do. You know, what did you think when you'd done those things? Did you think, oh God, I can't wait to get away from here? Or, or... No, no, it was great. You know, going up to like the Bronx Zoo or the Botanical Gardens, things like that. It's like, oh, this is a really spectacular city. You know, when you're, when you're, living your real life in a place it's all about you know going to the post office and going to the bank and the dry cleaner and you know things that are just irritating and big <laughs> but being here and and you know honestly it's like white that... middle-aged privileged talking about dry cleaners being irritating <laughs> well it's super irritating you know like everything in real life it's like oh, i gotta walk the kids to school and it's cold and it's raining or you know i've got this bill to pay and i've got that bill to pay it's like it's it's you know it's real life like when i get to go to, to a place like london it's not real life for me it's like i have a, i feel like i have I'm justified in doing all the things that I'm sure the people that live here would love to be able to do, but they don't have time for. What is what is uh, what is London as a tourist like then? I mean, I've lived here for twenty years, so I can't really tell. It's magnificent. Oh. It's incredible. I mean, it has the most amazing museums, and and it's incredible. Like all these museums that that they're like, well, you know, you can pay this or not, or you know. <laughs> astonishing, and and you know all the all the little neighborhoods and. I mean, then the tube system gets you everywhere, and it's you know, I mean, it, it's it's amazing. It's a great. I place. always think it's Don't rather. Forget. I always think it's rather healthy to um, to just engage in that in that kind of conversation with with a visitor, just to remind yourself of the things that you take for granted. Um, yeah. I mean, I do. I do still find it weird to hear people talk so excitedly about London, especially when they <laughs> say, "Oh, it's, you know, it's a great place for concerts." And all I hear in my circle are people who work in in the sector just going, "Oh, people are not coming to concerts. We need to reach out to a younger audience and all of that stuff." Uh, and yet, you've got loads of international musicians going, "No, it's really fantastic here. It's really good." Um, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me, given that we can't really talk about the Berg, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you? Oh, well, I mean, I, I think I'll just, I'll just double down and say that I love London. And I love, <laughs> I love how, how good London has been to me. You know, like I, I feel as a foreigner that um, 
well, I mean, part of the empire, of course, as a Canadian. <laughs> but, uh, but I feel that uh, you know, the, the London audiences for however many years it's been now, you know, 20, 20 years, um, have been really, they've sort of taken me in and I've, I've felt very much part of the, the London musical scene. And that's been really, really touching. You know, I, I really value and really treasure these relationships with, I mean, all three of the presenters on um, this current trip, these are presenters I've worked with for basically about 20 years. And that, that, uh, oh, by say, presenters, you mean promoters? Yeah, right. Yeah, like, okay. like we more Philharmonia, BBC symphony. Um, I, I played, I remember, yeah, it was 2001 proms with Andrew Davis and the BBC symphony, you know, who I was supposed oh. to be with tonight. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think it's, I feel very, very fortunate to to be uh, a part of the musical fabric of this place. Well, I wouldn't describe that as doubling down. I'd just describe that as being irritatingly charming, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much indeed for your time. I'm, and I hope that at some point we get to hear you play Berg live. Yes, I hope so too. I hope we'll get that back in the diary.